Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm delighted to share a keynote session from DPharm 2018 on how to innovate like Amazon in the drug development industry with a view to modernizing clinical trials. This session was led by Mark Johnston, who at the time was Director of Global Business Development for Healthcare, Life Sciences, and Agricultural Technology at Amazon Web Services. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Um, wanted to just um, set the stage for the conversation I'd like to have with you this morning, which is to talk about innovation in general, um, why it's important, the macro impacts across the world's economy, and then bring it more into the context of how we think about innovation at Amazon, how we organize ourselves. And I'm going to get into that in some pretty good depth. So hopefully you're curious about that. Uh, and then I'll, uh, at the, as I conclude my talk, I'll bring it more into the context of how it's impacting clinical trials and give you some perspective of some of the things that are happening in our ecosystem. But uh, for those um, who are not quite familiar with Amazon Web Services, we're the cloud computing uh, component of Amazon. We've been in business about 12 years now. Um, started, uh, had a significant head start on the rest of the industry, and uh, we're... Um, uh, a very significant player in in the cloud. So, if you've uh, if you used Uber or you watch Netflix or you ordered something on Amazon.com, uh, you've used AWS. So um, we're the we're the uh, compute capacity, the networking, all of the services that are behind all of these applications and services that are becoming so embedded in the in the world economy today. So, um, let's get it started. First of all, why is this happening? Um, if you think about the macro um, context with innovation, what's happening in today's economy, you can see that the average lifespan of an S&P company has fallen dramatically. And, and business history is littered with the examples of companies that didn't see the signals in the market and failed to innovate um, to their own demise. Uh, the other thing is that if you look at where investment is going in new projects, the majority of them are focused on um, how you interact with the customer in new and different ways. So it's not so much about internal processes as it is about value creation on behalf of customers. So uh, in the middle, you can see that there's uh, roughly about half a trillion dollars that is going to building technologies to help win, serve, and, uh, and retain and service existing customers versus keeping the lights on. And on the other side, um, uh, you can see that the, the role of the CIO is changing. Um, I was a CIO for a brief stint in my career, and uh, we, my friends used to joke with me that CIO meant career is over. Um, but really, what, what's happening is that that role as well is being turned into a strategic advisor around how technology is implemented with people and process to actually create innovation and create new capabilities for customers and for those organizations to thrive in the market. And so what this means is that you have to think about a new model, which is focusing, first of all, on differentiating your company. Um, I would argue that the technology that runs your businesses is only differentiated when you do it poorly. And so we think about it as undifferentiated heavy lifting, the types of things that actually are not going to necessarily differentiate you but are critically important to run your business. And what you also have to do is you have to go faster than ever before. There's all kinds of disruption risk in this industry. Um, and I think it's given, it's, it's really been generated by the fact that 
the incumbents and most of the people that within, and it's not just, I'm not picking on healthcare and life sciences, this is across the board. I'm saying, I, we see from our vantage point that there's all kinds of uh, disruption risk across multiple industries. So people have to focus on what's making their company different. They have to go faster and they have to migrate their systems and their approaches in ways that are thoughtful, but do it so that they don't bet the farm if you will, on new initiatives. So it's this notion also of introducing risk reduction. And so this is really a high, if you put it all together, these are the types of things that uh, organizations are dealing with. And it's across the board. So this is our NASCAR slide of a, a variety of AWS customers. And you can see many healthcare and life sciences customers represented on the slide. But the point is, is that it's happening everywhere. Uh, people recognize that this is a new, the new world order. And if you, if you read The Economist, um, it's a very dense read, but a very good read. Um, they, they postulate here on this, uh, on this quote that, you know, when the Industrial Revolution happened, it was the application of machines and capital. And, and really in the information age, the defining characteristic of a successful company, company is how well they innovate and how they apply innovation in their organizations. And that goes across people, process, and technology. You can have the best technology in the world, but if you're not addressing the other components that go into the development of solutions and capabilities on behalf of your customers, it's really hard. So we get this question a lot. I want to innovate like Amazon. Our brand is synonymous with innovation. We've done a lot of unique things, starting from our roots as a bookstore to you know, Alexa now powering devices in your home. So there's been a significant amount of innovation in our company, but people may have the interest and need to innovate, but they don't know where to start. They've got existing technical debt or debt with, uh, and when I say debt, I mean it in that there's encumbrances in an organization that need to be modified or changed. And the new capabilities that are necessary because if, if you really start to listen to your customers and think about, I mean, this, this, this conference is all about innovation and trying to change the paradigm around clinical trials, but you have to understand what the needs are, not only today, but what the future holds. So I wanna break this down into how we think about the culture of innovation at Amazon. And I would, I would characterize it in organizational, transformational, uh, transformation, digital innovation, and cloud adoption. So um, very quickly, I wanna walk you through how we think about it. And, and as I do that, I would ask you to think deeply about how this applies to your organization. I will tell you in advance, it's not easy. Um, especially companies that are entrenched in their, organi in their, in their markets. Um, you know, I, I work, I have the privilege of working with a lot of companies across the globe. And when I talk to leaders, often they say that the people part of it is the hardest. And so you cannot, you cannot discount the importance of trying to build a culture and trying to build the mechanisms that uh, enrich the, and, and reward the culture of innovation. Uh, but, it, but it really starts with building blocks as well. So let me, let me unpack those a little for you. The first is the mechanisms. So 
I'm going to talk about our leadership principles, but the number one leadership principle that we have at Amazon is customer obsession. I can't tell you how many times, and I've got a uh, you know, 35-year professional career now, and I can tell you, I, I don't know how many meetings I've been in where we start to talk about internal this, internal that, and, and, and you, know, you raise your hand and think about, well, what about the customer? Um, so I would ask each of you, if you really think about a business problem, we start with working back from the customer. We have a variety of mechanisms. We write press releases about the future state and, future, and, and frequently ask questions to help our leaders and our teams organize around the thought process to actually build something that's meaningful with a customer engagement. But you may think you think about the customer, but I would ask you to really be, you know, put some real good introspective time into thinking about things like, who is the customer? You know, I know that's a simple, it's a simple question, but it's actually, once you get into detailed segmentation, it becomes very um, important that you really understand what it is or who it is that you're trying to uh, attract and what is their problem or what is the opportunity. And I know people talk about problem statements all the time, but you know, they can be very broad. And so to be successful, you have to get razor sharp on who is the customer, what is their issue, and is the benefit clear? Can, and this is really the precursor to can you actually market it and sell it in the market? Um, how do you know what customers need or want? What are your mechanisms to do that? Um, you know, we start with, uh, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this notion at Amazon that there's no such thing as a bad idea. But those ideas are subjected to significant amount of intellectual discipline that involve not only customer anecdotes and feedback, but market research, as well as intuition from leaders that have a real good grasp on what's going on in an industry. And not one of them independently is actually your North Star. It's the combination of them together that actually gives you the perspective that you need. And then beyond that, what does the customer experience look like? Um, I've had the privilege of having some very good mentors along the way in my professional career. And one thing that really stuck with me is this notion of simplicity being elegance. And you know, with technology and when you get a bunch of people in the room and all of a sudden all these things get in, before you know it, you've got a solution that is extremely complex. And then people wonder why it doesn't get used. You know, simple, easy is the best. I mean, think about yourself and your, what you use every day, the applications on your phone and, and which ones you actually use the most frequently. They are easy to use generally. So don't forget about that. And I think that there's, ex there's experiences like voice, which enable the even easier interfaces into technology, which actually are going to be conduits for more and more innovation. But if you think about voice, it's so simple in terms of interacting with a service versus typing, finding, passwords, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff that people just give up on. So, all of, these things to, all, of, all of these things together actually represent our notion of working back from the customer and creating a solution or creating an idea that actually is going to resonate because you've done the due diligence to really understand what the customer experience is all about. And it's not just the GUI or the graphical user interface, it's all of the componentry that goes into the value equation that will deliver to your customer benefit or need. The other thing is architecture. Um, you know, if you really think about your companies today, 
how many things are designed or put in the way of, you know, we, we, we hide behind approval process. And we talk about things that are necessary to ensure that the appropriate organizational controls are implemented so that things don't go astray. I agree with all that, but I also would say that that's gonna slow you down. So you have to have this balance of being able to go fast, but at the same time, support this rapid growth and change. How do we do it? We think about self-service platforms. And if you really think about what Amazon Web Services is, it's an opportunity to actually go in and effectively consume tremendous amounts of compute and storage and, and service capability that traditionally has been locked behind a variety of different uh, impediments, if I could call that. And I would, I would say that this is not a black and white situation. So companies like Johnson & Johnson who have been working with us for years have put a tremendous amount of energy into building the right organizational control plane so that their compliance as well as their you know, intercompany billing and all those things that are necessary to run their business are included. But they have effectively said by job class, there are resource allocations that we want to give to people in a self-service format. This is how we work at our company. When I need something, it's generally available to me in the scope of what I need to do my work. So a lot of thought has been put into how we enable our employees to effectively run fast. So think about these self-service platforms and think about, especially in the context of patients and providers, how do you enable them to easily consume at scale the solutions that you're building without creating too many impediments that get in their way that may even be unnatural in their thinking? So it's a really important point. Um, and I think, again, there's this tension between control and self-service that you have to find, especially in this industry that is highly regulated. So I'm not saying you go all the way to the other extreme, but you have to be able to balance the idea of control with self-service. It's a really important point. So I'm gonna to touch on culture here, but before I go into how we think about it, I would tell you that this is the most important and probably the hardest thing to do. How do you reward innovation? How do you encourage it? How do you create the thematics in your organization that enable people to think outside the box rather than constrain their thinking because they don't think it's ever gonna get approved? So we think about it, you know, on this double helix strand here is, um, you know, kind of the DNA representation of how we think about culture in, uh, in Amazon. Uh, and I won't go through all of these with you, but the importance of all of them, and, and I would encourage you if you're curious to, these are readily available, you can use your favorite search engine and go find, you know, what the Amazon leadership principles are all about. Um, but they're much more than just words on a piece of paper or a digital slide. They represent the actual, I, I think in many ways it's the brilliance of Jeff Bezos that has effectively enabled a cultural identity at our company that allows us to effectively work in a shared contract between one another as well as our customers. So I mentioned customer obsession already, which is the top leadership principle. But many of these are also designed to be in conflict with one another. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but let me give you an example. So if you think about 
um, dive deep. Dive deep represents this insatiable need to really understand an issue or a problem and to support it with facts and data. So do your homework. Really be diligent about understanding what information is available you, to you to optimize your decision. So dive deep generally takes time, and then you juxtaposition that against bias for action. Bias for action means get stuff done, GSD as we call it. You can replace the S with whatever word you want, but the, 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 point, is, the point is that you really have to think about this tension that you need to be disciplined in your intellectual pursuit, but you cannot get bogged down in it and not get anything done. So, you know, bias for action, earn, uh, dive deep, um, frugality. Frugality is a really big thing. I mean, we don't waste money. I mean, we're all owners at Amazon, and that's a, that's a core principle in our company. And so we think about, you know, you should operate, and I tell people that have worked for me for years that, you know, think about this like it's your business. Would you write that check if it was coming out of your checking account? You know, and it, it's not just, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we don't, you know, uh, have nice dinners with our customers or anything like that, but it, it, what it means is that we think very, very deeply about how we expend our resource because there's, optional, there's optionality in every resource decision. So think about that. The other thing I would say about these is that we look for leaders, we look for pioneers, we look for people that are okay with ambiguity. You know, um, I, I think that's a really important point that you have to, in your cultural identity, also establish what is the makeup of the folks that you really want to be working with that you believe will actually carry the mission through to your customer. So those are really important points. And it's also something that um, we use very, in a very disciplined way to hire and filter who actually works with our company. So if you interview at Amazon, you will actually be, uh, we will be thinking about how you display your professional uh, experience and um, your thought process as you think about how you, how you talk about your experiences through the lens of these leadership principles. So again, culture and cultural transformation is extremely hard. It is, I would offer though, probably the most important thing that you can do to actually set the tone for your organization to be different or to adapt to a changing environment that might exist in your industry. So, last thing I would say on this is how do you organize yourself? Um, I happen to be one of the people, and I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, that, that, that believes there's an inverse relationship between the amount of people in a room and what gets done. Um, you know, and there's a lot of reasons behind that, but the reality is, is that if you want to go fast, you can't do it with 100 people in the room because everybody's got a variety of opinions, and that's okay. That's okay. But how you organize to get stuff done is different. So we call it the two pizza team concept. So we try and deconstruct, when we want to build something, we deconstruct it into small teams that can be fed by two pizzas. You know, whether they're medium or large, it really doesn't matter. You get the concept, right? Which is organize yourself for agility. And the other thing is that this, these teams actually don't just build stuff and throw it over the wall for somebody else to operate. We make them accountable for not only developing but operating the solution. 
And that creates a different mindset. And the mindset is that I want to be really uh, thoughtful about you know, how I build something if I'm going to own the operation of it as well. I'm going to make it simple and easy to operate, right? That would be the, I would think, reflexive thing for, for most individuals. But this, ocean, this notion of fostering ownership and autonomy is really, it really comes down to how you organize the teams to, and, and how you effectively task them with outcomes. But do it in a way that uh, is, is agile as well. So the last thing I would say on this, it's okay to fail. You know? uh, but you have to learn from your failures. And you obviously have to be very judicious about the blast radius of your failures. But there's a couple examples here. Uh, there was a time in our company when we actually competed against eBay. And we had this notion of having a marketplace that if you're familiar with the eBay auction site maybe eight years ago, um, you know, I, I still use it. I think it's a great service. Um, but we weren't very successful in the Amazon auction. Um, but what it did is we learned some patterns from it and it birthed the Amazon marketplace. And the Amazon marketplace is an extremely successful part of our business, not only at Amazon, but within Amazon Web Services, where we have thousands of titles now that you can actually point, click, and deploy. And we've taken care of, and that's a very, again, a simple experience. We've, 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 basked, we've masked all that complexity behind the scenes and made it easy to consume for uh, those that need it. Um, on the, uh, your right um, is uh, the famous example of Jeff holding up the Fire Phone, which uh, was one of our, um, our bigger flops, I, if I could put it that way. Um, you know, I started at the company uh, a little over four years ago, and, and we had just released the Fire Phone, and I, it had some really cool features. Um, but, you know, taking on Apple and Samsung and the industry incumbents at the time, we didn't have enough juice in what we were doing. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to be critical as much as the fact that we took a significant write-off. But technology that was built within the Fire Phone actually became the kernel of Alexa. So... Again, both of these examples, although they were failures, we learned from them and we said, what is it that we can take away and harness from them and repurpose for a new idea? So the point I'm trying to make to all of you here is that don't be afraid to fail. But if you fail, you learn from them and be really cautious about how big the failure, what the, the impact of the failure. So again, back to the culture, if your teams feel empowered to actually do different things and be uh, very customer focused, to run fast, to experiment, and this is really the nature of the scientific side of, of our business, um, it's really important. So let's talk about clinical trials. So now this context of you know, how Amazon thinks about it, hopefully those were good nuggets for you to, to stew on, but What's happening um, just broadly? So, you know, we think about clinical trials 2.0 as this transition from the blockbuster era to highly precise and, and targeted therapies that are driven more towards specific patients, conditions, and situations that are much more precise than they have been in the past. And if you break it down, it really involves the design of it, the data, the operations, and the patient or investigator experience. 
So I want to talk about each one of these and give you some examples now of um, how um, customers in our ecosystem are using our technology to effectively innovate um, with this backdrop of how we do it. So the first uh, I'd like to highlight is Knowligent. So, um, you know, if you think about the cost and energy that goes into the design of a clinical trial, there's generally a lot of statisticians behind it. There's a lot of variability. The modeling of a clinical trial um, can take a long time. It can be very expensive. And obviously, the highlighting of specific individuals, if the premise is, is that it's no longer a blockbuster approach versus a precise approach. Uh, I know companies that have spent three years trying to find 50 patients. It's not unusual. And then if you think about you know, those organizations that are into rare diseases, it becomes very, very challenging. So Knowligent is basically, what they did is they put together a solution and all the horsepower is obfuscated to the users behind it. But the notion is to put a very simple graphical user interface in front of the design and the research uh, individuals that are working on trial planning and to provide them with um, a variety of different modeling scenarios so that they can quickly discern um, the size of the study, the locations, all of the necessary information and model it. And so it's, it's really tied to this notion, again, of moving fast, having a lot more data at your disposal and doing it simply so that the user who is actually trying to get their work done can do a lot more. So again, taking the principles that I just described and then you know, working it through an application. Uh, in this case, they've, they've designed um, you know, the feasibility analysis, dramatically designed, uh, reduced from you know, four to six weeks to minutes. Uh, there's obviously costs in every component of this, but you know, to enable optimal site selection and, and, and effectively do that in a way that um, you know, brings the trial together in a, in a much more intelligent design is very important. I know everyone in this room is, is, is looking to achieve that. And the good news is that not only the solutions, I went through uh, this morning, I, I took a quick tour through all of the different solutions that exist out in the uh, exhibitor hall. So there's a lot going on here, but um, the point is, is that people are trying to change the paradigm in clinical trials, and they're doing it through the lens of being a lot more prescriptive and precise around the trial design and doing it with technology behind the scenes so that they can accelerate uh, what they're trying to do. Um, I noticed blockchain is going to be discussed today. And, uh, you know, blockchain is one of the technologies um, that is evolving. Uh, I still would characterize the early, it's, it's, it's in its infancy, if you will. Um, but uh, Pfizer actually, um, here in Cambridge, put together a symposium with, uh, I think there was about uh, 20 different companies represented and patient advocates. And, they tried to understand how blockchain could be used to effectively impact the clinical trial. Um, so the notion here is that if patients had higher trust enabled with blockchain technology to effectively populate their data out in a, into uh, a commons where it would be available for clinical trials participants, uh, researchers and design uh, individuals, that the notion would be that blockchain would be the underlying technology that would 
enable patients to effectively raise their hand, if you will, in a trusted way to say that I have a condition, I have a set of phenotypes, clinical indications that might be really critical to a clinical trial recruitment um, step. But I think the problem is today that there's not a lot of trust. So blockchain is a very interesting technology that has a lot of applications. Um, but again, I think it's, 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 a young, uh, it's a young technology, a lot of application in the financial services area. Uh, but as we think about clinical trials, as we think about electronic medical records, a variety of other use cases, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for blockchain to actually change the dynamic. Um, there are some things as you think about blockchain around uh, probabilistic algorithms that uh, basically have to be um, negotiated between parties about what gets written to specific records. I mean, that's probably the trickiest thing from an organizational standpoint, but it holds promise. I really appreciate you know, companies like Deloitte that are providing the thought leadership uh, in our ecosystem to bring our customers and these uh, diverse constituents together to try and think about this issue through a different lens and create solutions that actually achieve the intended objective. Um, on the operations side, uh, this example here comes from our work at uh, 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 BMS. And, um, you know, I, I think that the simulation, I, there's some statistics on this slide that give you kind of the game-changing perspective, and the costs aren't on here, but, um, you know, 64% is a significant reduction. Um, and, and, and you think about the fit for the cloud in terms of just um, scientific, um, you know, throughput and reducing risk because the costs of doing something are significantly less. That's the underlying value proposition here. But, um, you know, if you can reduce your simulation time dramatically from, you know, hours, days, weeks, months to minutes, um, you know, that just, again, allows people to postulate and discover and do things much more quickly. So, you know, with, this, with the same amount of simulations, you know, the scalability of the AWS cloud enabling, you know, and, and let's not even forget here that the time to acquire, rack, stack, configure 12 servers to run a simulation, that's all behind the scenes. And generally, in the old model, uh, can be very cumbersome. Um, when you can on-demand secure 256 servers and run your simulations in, you know, hours, um, you know, there's a significant benefit there. There's just more work that you can get done. So um, the, the quote down there says not only is this, you know, the, the, the benefit about the operational uh, implementation on simulations and cost savings, but the precision that you can get from doing more scientific simulations actually can reduce your tri trial size as well, which is a significant financial benefit around the overall trial, um, not just in the context of, of what's going on in the simulations. Um, the last thing that I would uh, highlight to you is the initiatives at the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative. Um, you know, IoT is, uh, or Internet of Things is white hot. Uh, in the medical device space. We're working with a variety of companies, whether it's embedded uh, or external sensors that are, um, you know, generating data. And, you know, I, I think there's some significant examples, not only in 
how clinical trials are done, but medication adherence as well, and how people that are suffering from chronic conditions can actually use the data that's coming off of the device and correlate it against other patients within a community, as an example, to give them better feedback. And the important thing here uh, with CTTI is that they've embraced this notion of having a platform to effectively provide feedback to the trial participants as well. So mobility is all the rage. I mean, you know, just again, think about how you get through your day and look at it five years ago versus today. I mean, my most important device that I use is my phone. I mean, you know, it used to be my laptop, but it's my phone. And I would, I would envision that majority of you would actually agree with that. So all of the experiences that are connected to that mobile device are actually going to be incredibly important in not only today, but in the future. So initiatives like CTTI, which are trying to do new things around data collection, focusing on the mobility aspect. And, you know, if, if you think about trials with, um, you know, Parkinson's or muscular dystrophy, I mean, you know, all of those, um, you know, capturing all of that information, it's not always easy for those patients to comply as well. So the important thing is that CTTI has embraced that. And not only do they recognize that mobility-based mobility acquisition of data is not only critically important, it is the new standard, but also being able to have those bi-directional experiences so that people are actually getting feedback about what's happening or adjustments will actually improve the overall outcome of the clinical trial as well. So, um, we're really, we really love what uh, is happening here. And uh, this device that you see um, over to the left side of the screen is actually um, the AWS Deep Lens, which is a hardware device that we've built, um, which CTTI is using as well to actually build machine learning algorithms that capture information based upon what's happening within a data sphere and allow data scientists to actually quickly build machine learning models. Um, and it's, it's one of the many technologies that we have in the AI and ML space. Uh, and the, the fundamental premise or thesis that we're operating on is that we want to democratize data science. We don't believe that your um, organizations should be impeded by having to run everything through the knot hole of a few highly skilled, highly in-demand individuals that are the data science, data scientists in your organization. And I very much respect the art, I mean, brilliant people that I've met in this area. But the reality is, is that technology is so pervasive and so powerful nowadays that we're trying to deploy that technology to enable more people to do data science without having that pedigree in the background. So as you think about data liquidity, as you think about massive amounts of data that are being produced by the system, you have to get smarter on how you use it, how you interpret it, and then how do you act upon it? Uh, and that's really, I think, the, the, you know, that kind of the spirit behind what CTTI is trying to do. So uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about AI and ML in uh, more depth, but I think these quotes here represent, um, you know, I think signals from uh, Gartner, who, as you know, is a leading uh, research firm that, that covers not only this industry, but many in depth, including the cloud, by the way. Um, but I, 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 rather than read these, I think the takeaway for each of you should be that 
Artificial intelligence machine learning, again, is a new field. Um, you know, it's, it's highly pervasive. I mean, we've been doing it for years at Amazon. If you think about the robots in our fulfillment centers, the recommendation engine on Amazon.com. Um, and, and so it's, it's in our DNA. But again, I think that what you'll see in your organizations are more and more application of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And think about it as a mechanism to support more thoughtful decisions and do it with a lot more um, empirical and intuitive ev evidence that is generated from the data so that people that are at the front lines of making a decision can make a better one. And that's, I think, really the key point. So to sum it up, um, you know, our culture of innovation, it starts with being obsessed around the customer. So um, start every process with the customer and work back from it. And I don't know how many of you are doing that. Hopefully, if this is a takeaway from my talk, it's something that will kind of you know, reboot uh, in many ways the way you're looking at it. But the idea, again, of starting from a future state, what is it that you want to achieve and then working backwards from it and putting the thought and the discipline into thinking through what are all the things that are going to be asked? And answer them before you get started. So imagine if you could go to your leadership with, this is what we're going to build, and then have a very detailed set of answers to questions that you know, will be asked. I mean, it just makes you, it puts you in a different perspective about the, the depth of thinking that's been applied to a specific uh, opportunity or challenge. Um, this may be unique to our company. I don't think it is. Um, we've, been, uh, we've been okay about uh, being misunderstood, but the long-term thinking is really important. You have to be stubborn on the vision, what you want to achieve, but be very flexible on how you get there. What are the details to achieve that? So it's okay to be uh, deliberate about again, and this ties into the, the notion of working backwards, if there's a future state that you want to enable, you know, just be really, you know, almost be, you know, just an evangelist on it. Just this is, this is so important, but don't really stress over every detail about how to get there. I mean, the big blocks in terms of working through the questions that are going to be answered are, are important, but you gotta, you gotta be swift with it. Um, I mentioned this already, if you want to be inventive, you have to be okay with failure. Again, my only concern there is the blast radius and making sure that people don't feel that failure means that they did something wrong. That's really important. Think about science. Think about the science in, in the work that we do. There's a lot of failures, right? But, you know, when those wins are pretty sweet too. So, you know, you have to have that, that, that balance. Um, and then lastly, again, I'll, I'll, I'll make this point. Um, again, maybe it's a unique characteristic around Amazon, but uh, I would say that, you know, and it ties into the stubbornness and the vision. You know, be deliberate in where you want to go. Um, be okay with being misunderstood, but if you uh, really stick to what it is that you want to achieve and you're deliberate about it and you build a culture around you know, that and you understand that there's this waypoint that you're trying to achieve on behalf of your customer, I think you generally get good results.
We hope you enjoyed the podcast from D-Farm. D-Farm 2019 takes place September 17th and 18th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org.